welcome back to Hopeful Harvest Acres. This is Abby. On today's episode, we're going to jump into 1 Timothy chapter 2. So if you would, grab your Bibles, a cup of coffee, and let's dive right in. Welcome back, friends. Glad you're joining me as always. As I'm recording this, it's a very foggy morning as I'm looking outside, but it's a beautiful day. The air has been crisp. You can definitely tell that the seasons are starting to intertwine here, and we're going to have some hotter days along with some cooler days, and I'm really looking forward to the fall season. We are about to send our children back to school. We have back to school night tonight and we're excited for them to meet their teachers, meet their new classmates, and to just see them off. My prayer is that the children would keep their hearts on Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity to send our children to a school where they learn God's word consistently on a daily basis and that the teachers also love the Lord. This is such a wonderful blessing for a time that we're living in now where we know many people are rejecting the word of God. That is just so wonderful for us to have the assurance that we're sending them off in hopes that they're surrounded by other children, that their parents are pursuing a deeper relationship with him as well. So today we're going to jump into the book of 1 Timothy. We're looking at chapter 2 today. And I want to do a little bit of a recap and talk to you about what we did last week for just a minute. And that was that we talked about sound doctrine. 1 Timothy is really focusing on making sure that Paul is instructing Timothy in the way so that he will equip the churches with the truth. And that if there is any false teaching circulating within the actual walls of the church, that Timothy and the other elders are addressing those issues. And I think it's so important for us because as we evaluate the churches that we attend on a weekly basis, Basis, the places that are our home churches, so to speak, we need to be aware of how the system is set up to address issues like this as well. And if you attend a large church, a large church like we do, you may not know all the ins and the outs. And so I would encourage you to get in contact with your pastor or someone that is an elder. And so they can explain to you when issues arise, how do they go about handling them? And you can compare this to scripture and see if it is indeed biblical. Because this was a great encouragement for me to find out how our church addresses small and large issues alike whenever they do arise in the church. And guess what? They do. They will because we live in a fallen world full of sinners and even sinners who are redeemed by God. They at times are going to be at risk of falling and we all at times are going to need to be disciplined in hopes that we will turn from our ways and we will look to God's word and see what it requires of us and that we won't just reject what the elders or what the person who is coming to us is trying to instruct us in. This was something that we addressed this week at our church as we continued on talking about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're coming to a close in this series, but our pastor talked to us about sharing God's word with others, making sure we do it with the right heart. We should always be evaluating our hearts. Remember, we know that our hearts are deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? And so we should be always approaching 
others in love, making sure we first address our own hearts as we share the truth of God's word with the grace that has been given to us. And many times people are going to reject it, but as Christians, we're called to share it even when we don't think we have the strength. God will supply us with that strength. And so it was a wonderful message with helping us as believers understand how we can share truth with grace, but also make sure that we're always approaching people with a right heart ourselves. And it was encouraging, and I know many people were going to be equipped to go out and to share God's word more boldly than maybe they had in the past. So that's my hope that many people will do just that. So as we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, where it's talking about praying for all men, we see that it, it's Paul starting out encouraging Timothy to constantly be in prayer for all men. And you know what? Especially men who are in a governing, who are in governing authorities. So we see in Romans 13, 1, where Paul is telling us that there are truly no authorities that exist today that are not under God's ultimate control. For God to be sovereign, this means that all exists has been appointed by him. So we are told to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. And we have the perfect example of this when Jesus is being taken to the cross at Calvary. We see this in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. So he is stripped of all of his belongings and now... They are dividing up his things amongst themselves. And these are the men that are going to be physically responsible for hanging Jesus on the cross. They are driving nails through his hands. They pierce the sword into his side to confirm his death. And yet, as Jesus is being taken to the cross, he does not curse them, nor did he condemn them. For he wasn't sent to do either of those things. Jesus simply is found praying to his heavenly father for their souls. It reads, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And so, you know what? As Christians today, we are very prone to grumble. We may spend way too much time watching the news, and we hear about these obnoxious reports about our corrupt governing authorities, and you know what? These men very well may be corrupt and how they're seeking to lead our nation. But let's not forget, we live in a free nation. We can get so caught up in what we don't have that we forget about all the freedom that we do still have as Americans that we are able to exercise. But as Christians, we need to realize that apart from the Spirit of God dwelling inside each born-again believer, these men and women and governing authorities, they cannot and they will not obey God. They cannot follow a God they don't believe in. And so again, as Christians ourselves, we should not hold them to display Christian values when they are not Christians. So we need to wake up. I mean, really, we are fooling ourselves. And while we need to spend more time in the word of God, and actually applying it to our lives, if we have in any way been thinking in this manner, if we have been thinking that these men should be held to Christian values, they're not, they cannot be. And so let's wake up. So we are, however, called to pray for them. 
we should be praying all sorts of requests for them. Most importantly, though, we should be praying for their salvations. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 4 says that God desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So here is a thought-provoking question for you all today. Did Jesus die for everyone? Again, did Jesus die for everyone? And I want to encourage you to be able to explain this in greater detail than just with a yes or no answer. So as I'm recording this, I am hoping to ask this question tonight to our life group and to see what sort of responses that we do get. So again, did Jesus die for everyone? So I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to explain here. If we continue on in 1 Timothy 2, 6, it reads that he, meaning Jesus Christ, gave himself a ransom for all. So to answer your question for you, which is, did Jesus die for everyone? Yes, but the answer is also going to be no. So you see, I do believe that Jesus Christ's death was sufficient for all. But I do not believe that it brings salvation to all. Because if that were the case, why would there be any need to talk about heaven and hell if everyone was truly going to go to heaven? But God does not wish that any should perish. But God also knew that sinful man would not turn from their own ways to follow him. Despite the fact that we are created by God and for God, we have strayed and went our own way. 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He is long-suffering toward us. This means that God is patient with us beyond what our human hearts can comprehend. He does not desire that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And yet again, God being all-knowing, realize that apart from him, sinful man would not come back to him for repentance, nor could we access him because of our fallen state. And yet God made a way, and all who call upon him will be saved. Not all, but those who repent, believe, and receive eternal life through Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place, the one who is the true mediator between fallen man and a holy God. And so I think this is a hard question, but this is something that we should really be asking ourselves and we should be asking others that are in the church body. Did Jesus die for all? And how we answer it with just a yes or no answer, in my opinion, is not sufficient. We need to go deeper into explaining why we believe what we believe using scripture to help us formulate our answer. And so what we also see in 1 Timothy 2 is we see Paul is laying out his credentials to be speaking in the way that he is. So Paul was appointed as a preacher and he was appointed appointed as an apostle according to the grace given to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We find this in Ephesians 3, 7. He was once a man who murdered Christians, yet God called Paul through his grace and he separated him for this very ministry. This is found in Galatians 1, 15 and 16. So he would preach the good news to the Gentiles. Once a pagan nation, 
far from God, yet now having access in faith through grace, they too can receive forgiveness and be a part of God's eternal family. And Paul is acknowledging that he is the least of all the saints. Given his past sins, he committed against the Lord and against the Lord's people. This is in Ephesians 3.8. And yet God's great grace given to him set him on the path in which the Lord placed him after his conversion to preach the gospel again to the Gentiles. So Paul will continuously tell this story as we read in the letters, in the books that are written by Paul. He is telling people that he is truly accredited to do this work by the grace of God that has been given to him. And so as we move on to verse 8, we see Paul again reminding us that we should not be slack in prayer. We are to pray everywhere and without wrath or doubting. Without wrath meaning we have been declared righteous by the name of Jesus Christ. So the moment that we confessed him as Lord and Savior, the moment we were given the Spirit of God as our guide and as our blessed assurance, we are no longer under the wrath of God. This is great news. And so we, as God's children, can come boldly to the throne room of grace because Jesus made a way for us to do so. Remember, he is the one mediator between us and God. Without doubting, this is inclining that we should not be neglecting to constantly come to the Lord in prayer. When we pray, we pray according to the will of God, and we should expect God to answer. We should know that he hears all of our prayers, and our hearts need to believe that God truly is for us and not against us. He is a father who gives good and perfect gifts to his children, all according to his good and perfect will. This address to prayer was targeted to the men, specifically the physical men of the church, because men are to be the ones who are leading our local church bodies. If you are not a part of a local church body at this point, perhaps you are searching for a church that is going to line up with your values and standards of how you view God's word, you're going to find that there are many different churches that have many different beliefs, specifically on how men and women are to be viewed and how we are to look at leadership roles within the church itself. So whether or not a woman can take the role of a pastor or a preacher, whether or not a woman should be able to be an elder on the church committee, these are going to be very key issues that you need to have a basic understanding of what you believe whenever you're going into a church and you're reading about their core doctrine, whenever you are seeing how their leadership is set up, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it because churches divide over this because people have different interpretations of how to view God's word in regards to these issues and they are very important because I do believe that how God has set up the church it has been set up to be under the authority of men this is not to say that men are more superior to women I believe that we are all one in Christ but at the same time God has made women unique apart from men and that well as women we can bear children we have the ability to 
birth children, to nurse children, and I do believe that we are the ones primarily responsible for raising up the children in that the husbands are called to go to work. In the book of Genesis, it tells us that by the sweat of their brows, they will work all the days of their lives. And we as women, we will have pain in bringing forth children. And so our primary role as women is to be our husband's helpmate. And it is to raise up the children in the way that they are to go. This does not mean that men are not going to have a hand in training children and raising them, obviously. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if a woman is found within the walls of the home in the way that God calls us to, we see this in Titus 2, where a woman is to be a worker of the home, that she will be the one who is primarily having the responsibility of raising up the children. So men, on the other hand, they are going to be in more of a leadership role when it comes to the local church body because women are taking care of the children. And this is how God has set it up. This is how our genders are unique. But not everyone is going to have the same way of viewing this. And so how I want to encourage you is that if you do not have a local church body that you are a part of, perhaps you are in search of one, you need to have a clear understanding of how they view these certain topics. And you yourself need to know what you believe and why you believe it. 2 Timothy 9 continues on in saying that in like manner also that the woman adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, verse 10, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So I want to talk about this for a minute. Peter addresses this in his letter. I'm going to find that here where it reads, Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is in 1 Peter 3, 4. A quiet spirit or a gentle spirit can also be translated to meek or humble. And this is reflecting our character. So how we are supposed to conduct ourselves whenever we are in the local church body gathering on the Lord's day. And so God is more concerned about the areas of our hearts, that which we cannot physically see, only God can see, and not so much about what we're putting on outwardly. So this is not saying that women cannot wear jewelry or that women should not wear makeup, that we should not have nice clothing. I believe that this is Timothy being told by Paul that there were women who were causing a distraction. Perhaps they were wearing such fancy clothing and having such fancy hairstyles that they were drawing an immense amount of attention to themselves and it was taking away from the message of God's great saving grace in hopes that people would have their hearts transformed because of the gospel message. So these women were creating a distraction and we as God's people today we should not be a distraction. We should be dressing in moderation and being more concerned about our hearts than we are about what we're putting on outwardly. So in verse 11, it continues on and it says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, verse 12, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. 
Now, this again is a very hard to interpret passage because, well, it's setting the standards of the roles a woman should or shouldn't have. And churches have divided over this specific text. So again, in 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be silent. So again, I think that we need to think about the context of what may have been happening during the time that Paul was writing this letter to Timothy. And it may have been that women, given the culture of the time that Jesus came onto the scenes and the church was being formed, women were viewed as nothing. They were more so viewed as property and they didn't have many legal rights as citizens. They were deemed less than men during this time period. And so now the church has came into existence. We know that men and women are one in Christ and there may have been women who were allowing this newfound freedom to get to their head. And they began to twist the word of God to have it fit to their likings and their standards. And so they began to take advantage of this and they were seeking to take on leadership positions that God had appointed for men. And so Paul is instructing Timothy to make sure that these women were under the understanding that, yes, you are one in Christ with men. You are all created in Christ Jesus, but you are still created in the image of God, male and female. And because of that, God does have specific roles for each of them. And so when we look at the context of what was happening during the time period then, and we apply it to the church today, I think it's just reiterating the fact that as women, we need to not be seeking to take positions that were never intended for us to step into. And by stepping into those positions, we're actually disobeying the word of God and we will create unneeded tension in our lives that was not given to us. God knew that as women, we are the weaker vessels. We are physically weaker than men. And quite honestly, I believe that just as Eve was more easily deceived than Adam, that we at times can be more easily deceived. It's just how God has created us. And I know that this is very controversial. And some of you that are listening, you may say, I absolutely do not believe in that. And I understand perhaps you have been brought up under a different way of thinking. I am not in any way suggesting that you should be submissive to men apart from your husband who is over you in your marriage. I am telling you that when you subject yourself outside of the home, perhaps you go and you work in a workplace as I did as a nurse, you are no longer under the authority of your husband. You have now placed yourselves outside of the realm of God's grace in the workplace where you will be accountable to perhaps a man as your boss, whether you are working under the authority of a specific doctor as I have in the past, or whether your supervisor or your director over your department, they very well may be men. I had an experience I've shared on a 
previous podcast about a doctor I was working for that was very degrading in the way that he spoke to me. My husband was appalled by this, but he had no authority to speak anything to this man. This was my fight to fight. I had to approach my supervisor in regards to this. Well, guess what? My supervisor was also a man, a man who had been known for doing inappropriate things with women in the way that he would look at them and the way that he would speak to them. And so this position was very short-lived. I thank the Lord for that. It was very scarring at the time as a new nurse who was just starting out. I was questioning what I was doing with my life in being a nurse. And yet God would use it because it was an example for me to see that when we leave the home and we put ourselves out where we're going to be under men's headship, aside from our husband, we are subjecting ourselves to trouble that would otherwise not be there if we were being workers in the home. And so back to letting women learn in silence with all submission. This is in no means saying that women should not be able to learn. We, as God's children, we are called to be as Bereans where we're studying the word and we may be gifted teachers even as women, but we should not be seeking to be the authority, the one that is teaching at the pulpit or teaching men. Men should be leading men and women. And as women, we should be seeking to teach women and children because that is the standard that God has set up for us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 ends with, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. In verse 15, it's talking about women bearing children and that we will be saved through childbearing. This is not in any way implying that if we are not believers, that when we bring forth children, that we will somehow supernaturally become believers. No, remember, we are saved by the faith given to us through grace in Christ Jesus alone. This is nothing that we bring to the table ourselves. It is all a result of God and his good, perfect work in saving us. But rather, when it speaks about childbearing, It's speaking about how when Eve was deceived in the beginning, whenever they were in the garden, God had given the command to Adam to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He would have passed that instruction on to his wife, Eve. Eve was the one who was deceived and she gave to her husband and well, Adam ate. He knowingly ate. And so we cannot put all of the pressure on Eve for being deceived. Adam is actually the one that is spelt, that is held solely responsible because he was given the direct word from God to obey. But as women who fell into deception through bearing children, we have this great responsibility to raise up a godly generation of believers. So when we bring forth children, God tells us that we are to teach them in the way that they are to go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. This is not a guaranteed guarantee, but we as believers are called to obey the Lord. And so 
in raising up children in hopes that they will become the next godly generation to love God's word, to teach God's word, to study and obey God's word. We have been given this beautiful responsibility by God. And in doing so, it says, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and self-control, they will be saved. So, this is so wonderful. My study Bible says, while a woman may have led the human race into sin, women have the privilege of leading many out of sin to godliness. God does not want all women to be married let alone bear children. Let's keep that in mind. We know that there are some women who have been sovereignly chosen by God to never be married, to never bear children of their own. But for those that do, they have the privilege of raising up the next godly generation. We're going to come to a close today as we finish in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 3, which will address the qualifications of overseers and deacons in the church. So I do hope that you will join me back next week as we discuss those specific topics. blessing to be here today as we discuss praying for all men and the roles of men and women in the church today. I hope that you will all have a blessed week and I look forward to being back here with you next Friday. Until then, have a wonderful day. Thank you.